In Exodus 2, we're introduced to the unlikely human hero of the book with the birth of Moses. Uh, To begin with, we'll read from verses 1 to 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is God's word to us this morning. There was once a young girl called Annie Oakley. And uh, she was famous for being a a brilliant shot with her rifle. She grew up in America in the latter part of the 19th century. And and she was such a good shot with her rifle that she ended up joining uh, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. She tour all over the country and and eventually in Europe as well. And uh, her party trick was she could get someone from the audience 
she could put a, a, a cigar in their mouth and at 20 paces she would shoot the end off the cigar. So uh, boys and girls, that's your challenge over lunch is uh, get dad to put a drinking straw in his mouth, get your Nerf gun out uh, and see if you can shoot it out of his mouth. Send all of your, uh, your best attempts and your bloopers into us. Uh, it'd be fun to see. Uh, on one trip to Europe, uh, she, she's in Germany and, uh, and a young man comes out of the crowd and it is uh, the crown prince, Kaiser Wilhelm. And, uh, and out he comes and uh, she's nervous and she's shaking and he puts the cigar in his mouth and, and sure enough, she does, she does the, the trick. She shoots the cigar out of his mouth. Kaiser Wilhelm uh, would go on to lead Germany into World War I. And it's one of those moments, isn't it, where you think, what would have happened? Would history have been different if that day she'd have missed and hit him? Uh, sometimes big doors turn on small hinges. Life can feel like that, can't it? For, for us in our world, in our own lives, uh, history is a mystery. And we've, we're thinking about that a little bit as we're looking this term in the book of Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. It's written about 1400 BC. It tells the story of how God's people Israel are delivered from their slavery in Egypt. We're going to look about the first quarter, the first 12 chapters this term. And we, we saw last week uh, some of these, these themes of how God works in unusual and mysterious ways in history to bring about his good purposes. We don't always understand them, but our job is to trust and obey. Uh, even when we can't always see what's happening. And we see that thing continued into chapter two this morning. Uh, you remember last week, uh, Pharaoh was, was on the rampage, really. He wanted to kill all of the Israelite, all of the Hebrew baby boys. And the last verse of chapter one had told us that he had ordered all of his people that every Hebrew boy born, you must throw into the Nile, but you can let every girl live. And as we get into chapter Two, uh, I want to see kind of five things together this morning, five things quickly about uh, how God works and, and how we can trust him in that. So the first thing that we see in, in Exodus chapter two as we, we get into the verses we've had read is that we see the protection God provides. Uh, we know Pharaoh is out to kill the boys and, and immediately we're introduced to a Levite family, Hebrew family, and, uh, and, and a little baby boy is born, you're thinking, uh-oh, that's not good. Uh, but his mother sees, verse two, that he's a fine child. Uh, now what mother thinks their baby isn't, uh, but it seems like God has revealed to her that there is something special about this baby. And so she hides him three months, and when she can hide him no longer, she puts him in a, in a basket. And the word for basket is really unusual. It appears uh, in only one other bit of the Bible, Genesis six to nine, it's the word used for ark. Interesting, isn't it? This little baby's put in his own little ark and he's set in the river and off he goes. What's going to happen to him? And at first it doesn't look good, does it? Because um, he is found by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's the one who wants to kill all the Hebrew babies and Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby. She opens the lid and he's crying. She feels sorry for him. She says, this is one of the Hebrew babies. She's, she identifies his nationality. At this point, He's done for, isn't he? He's a goner. Pharaoh's daughter has found him. She'll kill him. Amazingly, Pharaoh's daughter doesn't seem to want to do what her father wants her to do. 
and uh, and so she finds somebody. Now, interestingly, uh, the baby's big sister has been watching all of this going on, and she she runs to Pharaoh's daughter and says, "Look, do you want me to go and get uh, one of the Hebrew women to nurse this newborn for you?" Pharaoh's daughter says, "Yeah, that's a great idea. Who do you have in mind?" So she runs off and she gets the baby's mother. She gets the baby's own mother and brings her back and Pharaoh's daughter says in verse 8 can you take this baby Uh, can you nurse him and I will pay you so the woman took the baby and nursed him when he's older he goes back into Pharaoh's palace and then we see his name his name is Moses it's amazing way isn't it that God is working do you remember chapter 1 verse 10 Uh, Pharaoh said, we must deal shrewdly with this people. This is Pharaoh dealing shrewdly. Pharaoh is essentially paying uh, to raise this little boy that he wants dead. There's an amazing story in the news this week of uh, some burglars who got caught uh, when one of them, at mid-burglary, accidentally sits on his phone and dials 999 and the police can hear everything that's going on and they turn up and arrest them. That's kind of, that's the picture of Pharaoh here. Pharaoh's being made to look silly. Pharaoh, the one who wants to deal shrewdly to get rid of the Israelites, he pays to raise the boy who will not only deliver Israel, but actually will end up causing the downfall of Pharaoh's own household. It's an amazing way that God works in protection, isn't it? But we've got to be clear what protection means here. Protection doesn't mean, does it, for us? We can't read this story and say, God will protect me in my life from any bad thing that might happen. It it doesn't mean that. It didn't mean that. Presumably, uh, Hebrew baby boys were dying at this time. Uh, The book of Hebrews helps us to see that... uh, faithful people this is chapter 11 uh, some faithful faithful um, members of God's people some faced jeers and flogging chains and imprisonment some were put to death by stoning some were sawn in two they were killed by the sword they went about destitute uh, persecuted and ill-treated these were commended for their faith but none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. When we think about God's protection, it doesn't mean that God will give us an easy or comfortable life. It may be very difficult, but it does mean that God will keep his promise of delivering us and ultimately taking us to the promised land that that in its fulfilment is the new creation. He will certainly protect us for that. But life might not always be easy or straightforward. Second thing, the protection God provides. Second thing is the people God uses. We noticed this a little bit last week, didn't we, when we saw the, the Hebrew midwives and how God used them and their faithfulness uh, to protect and save many. Here the theme continues. We see uh, that uh, God uses the, the faith of Moses' mum, who, who puts him in that little basket, seeing he's special. We see the, the shrewdness of Moses' big sister, we find that later her name is Miriam uh, and how she uh, acts to, to step in and to, to take this boy back home. We see God even using Pharaoh's daughter, even though she doesn't know it, uh, to his purposes. And of course, we see uh, God preparing in this chapter to use Moses. 
Uh, but did you notice at the very first thing Moses does that we're told, he, he grows up, he goes into the palace, but then one day, verse 11, after he'd grown up, and by this point we learn uh, he's 40 years of age, we learn that in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, He's 40 years old. He goes out, he sees his people being ill-treated. An Egyptian is beating a Hebrew. Looking this way in that, verse 12 of chapter 2, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The very first thing Moses does, his introduction to us in the narrative, is he commits a murder. And yet this is the man that God is preparing to use. God can use anybody if we are willing to be used by him if you're a teenager uh, you will have discovered uh, social media uh, and some of the surveys around what social media does to us uh, aren't that great um, a YouGov survey in 2019 said of those aged between 16 and 25 46 uh, percent of those people felt inadequate as they compared their lives to others online 48% felt anxious about their future prospects. 57% said that kind of uh, online presence made them feel a pressure to succeed. 70% of us at some point in our life will feel what psychologists have called imposter syndrome. That sense of we don't really belong, uh, that we're not really good enough or we're not adequate for the, the, the places to which we've been called. You see, the Bible consistently shows, we see here, that, that God can use anyone, that God will use anyone. If we, if we open ourselves to him, if we say, God, can you use me? He will. Because God doesn't use just the, the superheroes and the geniuses. God uses ordinary people in ordinary places. We said last week, didn't we, that there's no just people with God. God can use any of us. But I think one of the other little applications on this point is to say we ought to exercise caution in interpreting the times. Sometimes people say very confidently, don't they, that, that they think God is doing this, maybe you, with coronavirus, or, or God is working this way in that situation. But you know, I, don't, I don't think anyone in, in Moses' day, as, as Moses flees the country after committing the murder, would say, God is using that guy. God, that guy is going to be our deliverer. We've got to be very careful that we don't fall into that trap. The, the things that God has revealed for us in Scripture we hold on to, but the, the secret things belong to the Lord, Deuteronomy 29, 29. And we ought to be cautious about trying to interpret and understand everything that happens. History is a mystery, and so are God's ways. Here's the third thing. The third thing is, uh, so we've had the, the protection God provides, the people God uses. Thirdly, the preparation God designs. Uh, Moses will ultimately be in Midian for 40 years. He won't return until he's 80 years old. Uh, he's forced to flee after the murder comes to light and, uh, and he comes to this well in Midian. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. They'd come to draw water at the well and uh, some other shepherds come along and drive them away. But, but Moses steps in and he rescues them and he waters their flock. It's interesting, isn't it? Even here, what is Moses doing? He's being a, a saviour and a shepherd. He's, he's doing that thing which he is being prepared to do. The girls go and tell their dads, Ruel, and, uh, and he says, well, why have you left him at the well? Bring him back for some dinner. Uh, Moses goes back and, and it seems he settles with the family. Uh, he marries one of Ruel's daughters, Zipporah, and... He begins a family. 
and he has this son Gershom. And, uh, and, and this kind of this period of Moses' life, it's a, it's a wilderness period. He names his son, interestingly, he names his son Gershom, which means something like I'm a, I'm a foreigner in a foreign land or I'm a stranger in a strange land. He's, he's left the throne room, he's left the palace, he's left the riches and the splendour of Egypt and he's, he's in a tent in the wilderness for 40 years as God humbles him. I love old hymns, uh, but 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 not always. They don't always get get things quite right, do they? One one old hymn which I quite like has this lyric in it. Uh, it says, "Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away." Does it? Does his smile always quickly drive it away? This is this is forty years for Moses, where he's in the wilderness. He is being humbled. Acts 7 tells us that Moses earlier in his life when he when he killed the Egyptian he, he thought he was going to act as the deliverer there and then but actually Moses needs to uh, God needs to teach Moses that that's not how it's going to be that actually he isn't to take things into his own hands but he is to learn to trust God and to depend on God and follow God. Humility is one of those key things in the Bible, isn't it? Uh, we see in the book of Exodus uh, where Moses and Aaron do go back to Pharaoh. In chapter 10, they say to him, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? In Numbers 12, uh, we're told that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Well, he, well, he wasn't when he left Egypt. Deuteronomy 8 says, do you remember how God led you, Israel, in the wilderness 40 years to humble you to see what was in your heart Jesus says uh, for those who exalt themselves they'll be humbled but those who humble themselves will be exalted and Peter reminds us in his letter that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble humility is not a value that's uh, much esteemed in our culture as Christians it's easy for us to forget it is uh, Lewis C.S. Lewis famously said into that humility is not thinking less of yourself but it's thinking of yourself less. It's, it's stopping putting ourselves constantly at the centre of everything, like we're the most important thing in the world and, and our lives and our troubles and our problems, maybe even our ministries are the most important thing in the world and, and everyone else ought to see it and get in line. But the truth is we're, none of us are as important as we, we think we are in one sense. The truth is I could go under a bus tomorrow and the kingdom of God would be harmed not one bit. Humility is a, is a crucial thing to cultivate for those that would be used of God. And sometimes God uses things in our lives to grow our characters and develop us. When you're in that season of suffering, it's always worth asking, what is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to develop in me? How is God trying to grow me so that actually I can be a more useful servant where he has placed me? Uh, here's the fourth thing, uh, and it's the prayer God hears. The prayer God hears. Uh, Moses has been in the wilderness this time and uh, in verse 23 we see that during that long period the king of Egypt, the previous pharaoh, he, he dies. A new king comes to power and it seems like things aren't changing because the Israelites they groan in their slavery, they cry out and their cry goes up to heaven and God heard. Just notice the verbs here, uh, four times, verse 24, uh, four verbs, God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant uh, with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He looked 
on the Israelites and he was concerned. That last one concerned in the Hebrew, it's, it's he knew. And, and, and the, the sense of knowing in, in the Hebrew language is, is much more than just intellectual knowing. It's a, there's a sort of an intimacy connected to it. He, he knows all about their situation uh, and their, their suffering. Now, now, why are we told this? We're not told this here because uh, the narrator wants you to think that, that God had been asleep on the job or distracted with other things and suddenly gone, oh, Israel, oh, yeah, um, I'd forgotten about them. Um, I should probably do something about that. Uh, no, no, God, God always heard. He always saw. He always knew. Um, I, I think what the narrator wants to do is here. Remember, if you read this in its ancient world, then you, there's... The narrator wants you to see how different God is to the Egyptian gods. This is all happening in Egypt. Now, some of you, some of you kids, I know one of my kids is doing uh, studying ancient Egypt at the moment. So, uh, so, so maybe some of you kids, you, you might know this. Um, how many Egyptian gods are there? How many Egyptian gods are there? Well, there's, there's something around 2,000. Uh, there's about uh, 11 main ones, but there's there's a couple of thousand other gods and. And the thing about the ancient gods in Egypt was two things. One is um, they're not really particularly powerful. Like they each have their zone. One is the god of the sun and one is the god of the harvest and one is the god of the rain and one is the god of the river. And, and so it goes on. But, but they're not really powerful. They just they just operate in their little their little box, the thing they do. And the other thing you need to know about them is they're not particularly kind. Uh, they're mostly kind of moody and mean. And, and the way that you, you sort of act as a worshipper is you, you offer sacrifices and you do worship basically to keep them happy so that you don't make them too upset and so they don't send uh, kind of famine or, or, or plague or flood or drought or whatever it is. You, you try and keep them on sides. And the narrator wants to say, wants, wants us to see and kind of his first audience to see this sense of God is not like that. God is not like the Egyptian gods. God is, is all-powerful. He's, he's moving all the pieces of history toward his own end. But he's also incredibly tender and compassionate like a father. Jesus teaches us to pray, doesn't he? Our Father. One writer says, um, and, and kids, you'll have done this, and parents, you'll know this, uh, that uh, only a child would wake a king at three o'clock in the morning to ask for a glass of water. You, kids, most of you have done that, haven't you? Only a child would do that to a king. That's the kind of access we have to God. Uh, prayer has this tremendous power because of who God is, but it's also a tremendous privilege to be invited by the Father who loves to hear us talk to him. Prayer is one of those things we, we probably don't make enough use of, isn't it? We don't, we don't pray to kind of twist God's arm it's not just sort of mere religious duty we ought to do. It's a, it's a privilege that we have a father who, who knows. He hears, he sees, he knows everything about your situation and he is concerned about it. And he loves it when we talk to him about it, when we bring our hearts and our concerns and our cares to him. It's a challenge, isn't it? God, God is responding here to their prayers. And the last thing here is uh, the fifth thing the promise God remembers the promise God remembers it says he remembered his covenant the promise that he had made to Abraham was that Abraham was he was going to bless him and he was going to make him into a great nation and that has happened and that he was going to give them a land that's not yet happened 
but and that, that somehow through his descendants blessing was going to come to the whole world uh, and that promise the rest of the bible is the, the outworking of that promise we see it begin to happen in exodus but ultimately the story keeps going uh, and as we read the story from from our vantage point we can see how that begins to how that gets fulfilled in jesus think about the the, uh, the similarities that you see between Jesus and Moses. See, Jesus too was, was under threat of death as a baby. It wasn't Pharaoh, but it was Herod that wanted to kill him and he was protected. But Jesus too, he, he left the throne room. He left his father's side. He left the heavenly palace to come to his own. Jesus too had, had that number 40, it wasn't 40 years, but it was 40 days in the wilderness being tested and prepared in a sense for his ministry Jesus too uh, was a shepherd saviour Jesus came and uh, not to kill but to be killed in place of us to take the punishment actually our sin deserves that we might know forgiveness and delivery from sin Jesus came to save he came to deliver, but, but not from physical slavery in, e in, in Egypt, but from our slavery to sin. Jesus came to take us to the promised land, but the promised land that is the new creation. Jesus is the fulfilment of all these types and promises and pictures. Jesus is the greater Moses who gives us true and eternal freedom. We are those who are called to, to trust him, uh, to follow him, to live for him in the here and the now. You see, if Jesus was, was just like the Egyptian gods, or, or, or if, if Jesus was a God who was sort of all compassion, uh, but no power, well, we'd kind of struggle to trust him, wouldn't we? But if Jesus was all power and no compassion, we wouldn't want to. See, Christianity fulfills both our intellectual and our emotional needs. It, it presents us with a God who is all sovereign and all powerful directs every event of history toward a good end but he's also the tender father who sees and hears and knows and acts in our interests as we as we keep going through this story as we look at i want i want you to keep seeing those two things i want you to see here's a god you can put your trust in and here's a god who who loves you and knows you more than you could possibly imagine and this is a god that is worth living for uh, and and following and giving our lives for in whatever way we can here's just a quote uh, to close for you from uh, from uh, he's a scottish uh, preacher he's a minister now working in america called alistair begg um, he's a great preacher go and look his, his sermons up online he says this you know for us it's better to have a god whose mystery we cannot always understand than to have a god whose love or power we cannot rely on. Better to have a God whose mystery we can't understand than a God whose love and power we can't rely on. So whatever, whatever the next week holds for you, uh, whatever it looks like, uh, and for some of you that'll be, that'll be difficult and, uh, and there'll be tough times coming, uh, hold on to the God who is all powerful over every event and detail in history, but is also that tender, caring, loving Father.